0: We just stepped on their face with a half-nail boot
1: and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host David. Today, joined for the first time by two of my co-hosts, Doctor J. Say what's up, man. What's up? And Scott, the status and also my main man, is joining us. Scott, tell the people what's up. How's it going, everybody? So we're recording this on a Friday. December 11th which is a few days before signing day um, that just works out for all of our schedules all being dads and having day jobs okay so with that said we are here to talk about national signing day and this is exciting because I have been very open on the fact that I am not a recruiting expert that uh, these guys are know a lot more about what's coming into the UJ program and a lot of you people are UJ fans so we'll focus heavily on UJ we'll touch on a little bit of the national picture and We'll also talk about Georgia Tech briefly because uh, one of the players that I coach is a big-time recruit for Tech this year. Um, So, just to get us started, Scott, it's looking like it's going to be another really good year for Georgia recruiting, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I mean, uh, this is three straight years that uh, people have kind of had uh, online freakouts over the summer about how (laughs) recruiting was falling off and it wasn't going to keep working. And then, of course, outstanding classes the last two years and now yeah. right back on track for the same thing this year. So surprise, surprise there. Um, nationally, the picture is not too terribly different than it's yeah, been the last few yeah. years. Um, right now, it's Alabama, Ohio State as a pretty clear one and pretty clear two. And then Georgia, and LSU at three and four, you know, practically tied right now. And then you go Oregon, Clemson, Florida, and then Notre Dame, Michigan, and Oklahoma to round out the top 10. And, you know, the reason that we really care about all that right now instead of in February is because the, quote, early signing day is Mm -hmm. the real signing day. And that is on, you know, Wednesday of next week. And if you look at, you know, say the top 100 guys nationally, uh, 81 of those guys are currently committed. So less than 20 of them uncommitted, and probably at least half, maybe more than half of those, you know, almost 20 guys remaining will commit and sign on the early day, right? And so that really underscores what
1: you said is that, like, early signing day has really become National Signing Day. I mean, it really has, especially with so many of these kids being early enrollees, um, including one of the players that I coach, he'll be leaving, you know, on January 11th and going to school
0: yeah and and with this year being such a weird year uh, nationally with everything, uh, it seems like people decided even more so to just go ahead and get things locked in right now, right? So anyway, uh, we say all that to say that where a lot of these classes are right now is more or less where the classes will finish up yeah. but also not completely, right? You still have a handful of, you know, very talented players that could go to whatever school they wanna go to. And so you have some schools like Oklahoma, who's 10th right now, they could add, you know, four more elite guys out of that group, right? They don't have as many guys recruited, committed as some of the other teams in the top 10. Um, They're expected to add a lot more guys. So they're 10th right now. They'll probably finish closer to five than 10, right? So things can move around, but.
1: a Couple things I don't like. I don't like seeing Florida at seven um I'd rather them to be at seven than at two but I don't like seeing Florida at seven they've been mediocre in recruiting for them the last couple of years I feel like and so I don't like seeing them ascend up the ranks and of course I don't like seeing Alabama in front of us but let's be honest the biggest difference between Georgia and Alabama right now is we know it's been quarterback I mean you're talking about Tua Tagovailoa and Jake Fromm versus Jake Fromm I mean it, that was a big difference in the last two times that UJ played Alabama and one time it was Jalen Hurts um <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, Jonathan?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Quarterback has been the difference. And it's funny you say that about Alabama. I mean, even in my head, I have the thought that everybody just knows, you know, going into recruiting national title season, that they're going to be looking up in Alabama. And yet, mm-hmm. that actually hasn't totally been the case. Uh, the last three or four years, you know, Kirby has pulled in the number one class uh, at least once, maybe twice, I know uh, that starting this season, at least in the, um, the 24/7 talent composite, uh, Georgia was number one. Uh, mm-hmm. f- f- I mean f- for the first time, I'm Ever. sure since they've been doing that calculation, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. for the first time since I've been following it, um, Georgia actually had, like, according to recruiting rankings, uh, the most talented roster in the country. Um, here we are with the two lost seasons. So don't get me started on that. But um, that being said, I mean, there there actually is an argument to be made that Kirby has sort of been the king of recruiting over, you know, the last three or four years, except (laughs) for quarterback and receiver, which in modern football, and especially in 2020, as we've seen, has actually been the difference.
1: And thank you for pointing out receiver because I just feel like if Jake Fromm was throwing last year to Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, um, Henry Ruggs, and Gary Judy, I don't know, he probably throws for a few more yards, a few more touchdowns than we had last year, you know, where your best receiver was a freshman, George Pickens, and a transfer from Miami. I mean, like, that's what Georgia was throwing to last year, and those are your two best players on, on the outside. And it's just like, how does it happen at Georgia? And now, you can see some of the talent that's there this year. Jermaine Burton's going to be really good. Pickens, when he's healthy, looks good.
0: Yeah. If you look at the sophomore class and the freshman class, both as on-field players mm-hmm. and where they were as recruits, those were home runs both times, right? You just had uh, some extenuating other circumstances where you had a, a year where a lot of guys went pro early when they maybe shouldn't right. have. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Leading re- returning receiver, getting kicked off the team, all of mm-hmm. you know. So you were. Uh, down about four, you know, your top four guys that you expected to have all of a sudden you didn't have, right? And and some offensive coordinator issues too, right? Well, yes, thinking, but, for yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: like if JJ Holliman and Nicole Hardman on your team last year, oh my gosh, how much difference does the offense look? I mean, that, that's a huge right. thing. And, you know, Nicole Hardman got a ring, so you can't really argue for him for going early. But, you know, Riley Ridley, really? You couldn't no. come back? I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so, but one thing I want to touch on before we get way off track here also is that look at Clemson, who rarely finishes in the top three, but pretty much always in the top ten, and they're winning national championships, which goes to what we always say is that it's great to have good talent, but at some point you got to coach them up. But for all of you that say that, let me add this. Find me the other ACC team in the top ten.
0: <laughs> so and there's one other point to be made there. Well, I'll, I'll talk on the Alabama and Florida thing real quick. You mentioned so Florida's seven right now, they finished ninth the last two years each time and they have as many or maybe more players than they'll be able to take this year already committed. Mm, Okay. So they're probably going to end up ninth again. Um, (laughs) As far as, as far as Alabama being, I mean, so for starters, Florida will get passed by Oklahoma once Oklahoma adds like four more big time blue chip players on Wednesday, right? They'll automatically boom down to eight. Um, And then if Notre Dame or Michigan, or anybody just outside the top 10 hits on a couple guys, then boom, Florida's at nine. So just the way the numbers work, that's probably about where they're going to finish. Um, Alabama may or may not finish one. They probably will finish one. Um, But to some degree, it doesn't really matter, right? Recruiting doesn't really matter that much if you're one versus two versus three. What matters is if you really are getting an elite level class, right? So we know that, uh, Alabama and Ohio State, uh, you know, the way I listed it was that they will definitely finish with elite classes. Uh, Georgia will almost certainly finish with an elite, cl- elite class. The only difference there is that the last couple guys that Georgia is expected to add haven't actually committed yet and mm-hmm. they have a right. few less commits than Alabama and Ohio State. Um, but if Alabama and Ohio State are like 99% chance to have an elite class, Georgia is like 95% chance. Um, Oklahoma is probably the next most likely, despite being down at 10. They're probably the next most likely person to maybe even finish in the top five. They could go up to four or five. LSU at four right now. There are some big-time players in the state of Louisiana, which means they normally do not leave Louisiana. Um, but some people may have noticed that the state of the LSU program is a little bit shaky right now. Oof. Oof. So I just wrote down that they could finish with an elite class. Okay. I would not be surprised if they finished second or third. I wouldn't be surprised if they finished between eight and 10 and nobody okay. else has that kind of like jumping right now, other than, I okay. know Oklahoma's 10, but we know they'll finish like five.
1: Um, and, so, And you bring up a point here that well, you and I have talked about several times and Jonathan, I know you would agree with this, but. You know, we we, all the years that people said that, you know, what's Mark Rick doing with these top 10 classes? And we'd finish seventh or ninth. And the point that they missed is what we just said seventh is like fourth best in the SEC. Mm -hmm. What was Mark Rick doing? He was finishing as the third or fourth best team in the SEC. He was playing up to the level of his talent. Now, and now we know that when you watch game in, game out, that wasn't necessarily the case. That's what ultimately cost him his job. But it's like people understand, people don't understand that like, It's one thing to be in the top ten, but when three other teams from your conference are in the top five, it changes the calculus. So you're looking at Clemson, and you're like, oh, well, they're sixth or seventh or ninth, but no other ACC team is above 12, or there's Florida State who finishes fourth a bunch of years and just sucks for no reason.
2: Well, and listen, what, what we said too, right? I mean, what's the other thing about Clemson? You know, maybe they had the fifth best class or the seventh best class, whatever. Okay, they also had Trevor Lawrence and they That's had Deshaun true. Watson. Yeah. <laughs> the quarter, the quarterbacks, it's the same that thing matters. with Florida. Like what we just said, I mean, I, I think Kirby Smart has absolutely recruited the pants off of Dan Mullen. Um, the difference yeah. in this year's game was that Florida had a quarterback. Um, oh. a, a quarterback, they didn't even know they had, right? I mean, Kyle <laughs> Trask, I mean, talk about a late bloomer. Um, whereas we had the exact opposite. We We had, you know, Jamie Newman and JT Daniels uh, neither of whom were able to play for us in the Florida game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there is, um, there is sort of a mixture, you know, right there in the middle of the top 10 of recruiting classes where a lot is depending on coaching, but a lot of it depends on the position too. And do you have the quarterback, which this year hopefully we'll do. We'll talk about it.
0: The, uh, the other thing too, with Clemson, that gets a little bit overlooked, right. Um, is that there's sort of an outlier in how the recruiting rankings are done. The recruiting rankings look at Mm. how good each recruit is and how many recruits that you get. You can sign up to 25. Most of the teams that are finishing up in the top three or top five are signing 23 to 25 guys every year. Mm -hmm. Clemson a lot of times is signing a little bit down closer to 20 Mm -hmm. and not signing as many guys. If you started sorting by the average rating of the players that go to the school, like if you just said – Yeah, then all of a sudden, Clemson's top three, top five every year. Mm -hmm. They just – they sort of choose to take two approaches, which is, one, always try and build around the best quarterback in the nation. And, two, try and really go for guys that are going to be, like, good fits from a culture standpoint and guys that will, like, work hard and, you know, guys that will fit into what they're doing and won't transfer and that works you just have to stick to those guns and maximize that right and you have to just be okay with bringing in 80 recruits every four years instead of 95 recruits every four years
1: and the truth is that every team has the positions they choose to prioritize to recruit at an elite level for clemson it's d-line and skill players that's what they recruit like they don't have elite tight ends they don't have elite offensive linemen they recruit elite receivers running backs super excuse me elite receivers elite quarterbacks and elite dbs they don't even and really it's just corner because their safeties are really their safeties are not average but they're just good college football players they are really good at corner really good at receiver good at running back because honestly running back is an easy position to recruit there's a million good running backs in high school football and they get the best quarterbacks possible georgia has prioritized everything on defense (laughs)
0: And really everything on offense. Yeah, I mean, I, they, I. if you talk about Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, those three teams are kind of the real elite recruiters year in, year out right now. And those three teams, they just have talent at every single position.
1: Jonathan, I see your thought bubble. Go ahead and jump in.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I. as soon as you said that about Clemson, I started thinking about what Georgia's priorities are. Obviously, we have gotten to a level where we have talent at every position. Yeah, we do. I But I, if you were going to – I mean, if you were going to prioritize, you know, one or two groups, I would say it's offensive line, and I would probably say the outside of the defense. I mean, outside and linebackers, r- rush-ins, and corners, um, right. as where we have gotten the, you know, the absolute elite of the elite. And the same thing on the offensive line. I mean, we, you know, w- we typically are not only getting the best offensive line, and we get somehow – like the best offensive lineman from all over the country, mm. um, you know, that that has been an M.O. for us in recruiting, I think.
1: And, and it's worth noting that we have recruited well at the quarterback position. Jake Fromm was going to Alabama, and we flipped yeah. him. I mean, uh, Jason as-
0: he Egos, Eason, yes. mm-hmm. Fromm, uh, Fields. Fields, Fields, right? And then you have uh, an off year, right, where you bring in, like, you know, a couple four-star guys before <laughs> – getting into this year where you're back to having a, a five-star guy.
2: Well, but again, I mean, even in recruiting, like and the big thing now is transfers, right? And yes, you these spots for transfers. Yes. But if you include that in the quarterback recruiting, <laughs> then then it goes uh, Eason, Fromm, Fields, Newman, Daniels, Vandegrift are all quarterbacks that we have convinced to come to the program. Uh, a lot of them end up leaving, uh,
0: but, but we did get them here. And, and for what it's worth – Big time quarterback recruits leave every program, Yeah, right? More than 50% of five-star quarterbacks transfer within like two years or something. Say that again. I think it's more than 50% of five-star quarterbacks transfer within two years. Holy crap. Something crazy like that. I'm just going to do a a real quick rundown of the SEC since most everybody's going to be following the SEC. Um, So just going by the conference, uh, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, you know, Florida, who we've already mentioned all of those. And then it goes Tennessee and A&M, uh, followed by Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Missouri. Good for those teams being at 7, 8, 9 right now. And then Mississippi State. And then 11 is Kentucky. 12 is Auburn. Oh woof, woof. <laughs> 13, 13 is Vanderbilt. 14 is South Carolina. Cool. Now – Starting from the bottom, working our way up here. South Carolina only has 10 commits. They had a coaching change. Uh-huh. But the way that everybody that's highly recruited is already committed, it's going to be tough. Like, Can they pass Vanderbilt? Yes, of course. They can get more guys and not finish last. But they're punting on this class. It's just not going to work. Did they um, keep Gunnar Stockton? They have so far. If they keep Connor Shaw in the program – then, but hey, that's the next class. The next oh, you're class. right. He's 2022. 20, yeah. So, um, and then Auburn at 12 is, who but uh, it's worth noting that Auburn also only has 12 commitments right now. And so they will also fill out that class. And they're expected to add, you know, one or two pretty solid players at least, uh, along with some other guys just to fill out bodies. And that's going to jump them up to at least like seven or six in the conference or something they're going to finish up with.
2: You would think Gus has got to get to at least seven, right? I mean, if if he doesn't get into at least the top half of the conference, woof, that is – I mean, he's already in hot water. That would be mm-hmm. real bad news for him.
0: Yeah, but just based on, like, numbers and stuff, they're going to hop over all the Kentucky, Mississippi State, Ole Miss group real quick. Yeah. So – it it sure looks rough right now. Um, it won't be as bad, but even then they're going to finish sixth or seventh in the conference and recruiting. And that's not great. If you want to actually win the conference. Right. Right. And so, uh, a right now, they're at six. I'm thinking they probably end up at four or five. Tennessee's right above them. Tennessee is in complete free fall mode. Everybody is jumping ship. On every aspect of that program, it seems right now. Um, Florida's at four. That's like we said before. That's kind of a one-way thing. If they hold on to four, that's good. But they might end up five or six, just depending on how the numbers play out. Um, but anyway, yeah. Just- All
1: right. So you guys tell me now that I've gotten us now that I've gotten us really sidetracked. <laughs> you guys tell me uh, what is there to know about this class coming in for UGA.
0: So the first thing to know is not a lot of these guys are going to start or make a major impact as freshmen. Okay. All right. We've talked before about the teams that have been very successful in recent years of recruiting. Those programs do not see a lot of true freshmen start or, you know, make monster contributions. The headliner is Brock Vandegrift, who's a five star yeah. quarterback out mm-hmm. of Prince Avenue. He is not expected to be a starter it's expected to be JT Daniels right after that you've got a lot of other guys that are like big time talents in the class and that are expected to join the class that doesn't mean they're expected to start right the number one player in the nation is a defense fin from California down in LA and nobody really knows where he's going right I don't Georgia's not the favorite but let's say he you know they're still in it so let's say he went to Georgia I don't think anybody expects that he would start even as the number one player in the nation, at least not necessarily day one. And he could, wouldn't be a surprise. He would play for sure. Right. He would get, he would get snaps. He would definitely play, but it's not something even for the top player in the nation where you go, Oh, this guy starts day one. It's much more about need. So mostly anybody that's a defensive back in this class has a chance to at least be in the two D because right now you're probably going to lose lecount stokes campbell webb and daniel you're gonna lose five dbs probably
1: i did not think about that until you said it but that is actually true right
0: now if you get lucky and stokes or campbell comes back that makes a huge (laughs) difference right just just one of them if one of them Mm -hmm. comes back it goes a long way Um, but if you're looking at the defensive backs for next year uh, it'll be lewis at safety You'll have Chris Smith and Major Burns. Mm-hmm. They will both, at least, be in the two deep. But there's an open spot in the two deep for a freshman to get some playing time, right? So and David Daniel is is one of those guys that a decent chance of being in the two deep. And at cornerback, you have some young guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody. Nylon Green is a pretty highly rated guy at cornerback. Oh man, who, he is. Oh. yes, extremely talented would probably be in the two deep or somewhere in the rotation that plays, but the two guys that are freshman corners right now that aren't getting much playing time are also extremely talented right. and have been there a year longer. Um, the one other defensive back who may or may not stay in the class is Deshaun Warren, who's a JUCO guy um, out of Pennsylvania who may stick with Georgia and may flip to Penn State, but he's a JUCO guy, and so with that in mind, if he's coming here, it's because he's going to be on the field. Yeah, he's is he a, a starter. Man. Is he your second or your third or your fourth corner? I don't know, but he's going to be a contributor right away, like DJ Daniel, basically. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, what uh, What position is David
1: Daniel going to play?
0: And I think they're expecting him to play safety. I think Kirby has sort of recruited him as safety from the get go. So my yeah. thought
1: there is, if and you're you're probably thinking the same thing, or Jonathan, if you got Chris Smith and Lewis seen, is he you not? Know, what is who's getting moved to star basically
2: yeah i mean i i've also got him sort of in my list anyway is sort of penciled in as a safety um but i mean i know he's listed as an athlete and, and most people are recruiting him as a defensive back and i don't um i don't think he has the speed to play corner he still has the speed to play the corner at georgia um and i don't know that anybody else was recruiting him there either but i also kind of had him penciled in as a safety um and really i mean sort of my list of kind of guys to watch is is almost the same as scott's you know even though you don't expect him to play next year certainly the the talking point the headline the story of this class is vandegrift Mm -hmm. um i mean anyone right now inside or outside of the state of georgia you know if you ask them about georgia football their question is quarterback what you know Mm -hmm. what about the quarterback why was there no quarterback is there a quarterback now um and so you know with him coming in um I mean, just everything is going to be, you know, centered around his future. You know, even if that doesn't have much to do with next season, you know, the way we hope. But then outside of that, I mean, once you get outside of whatever your feelings are about him and how good he's going to be, um, you just immediately look at the secondary because everybody else, um, the chances of them really contributing, you know, to next year's team are, are very, very low. I mean, I also had Nyland greened at sort of the top of my list of, you know somebody that might contribute. I mean, the other position that I would maybe look at, you know, would be along the defensive line. I mean, that that's going to be—it's a position that's been so so deep for us this year, um, but then also a place where mm-hmm. we're going to lose a lot of talent, and so yeah. uh, unfortunately, also not really a position that you look even for the very best of true freshmen to contribute a lot. We've been fortunate on the interior. We've had two that have done it a little bit and Trayvon Walker and Jalen Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a guy like Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, um, Jonathan Jefferson, like, are they good enough to come right in and get some snaps? I don't know. But defensively, I, I, I would place where we
0: might need some help. I would say that Ingrams Dawkins is ready to come in and be part of a D line rotation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's one of those guys that's already big and physical and filled out. You know, six five, three hundred ish, and will be able to sort of do his job and play the run well. I think mm-hmm. uh, well mm-hmm. enough to be a, a second or third string guy that's part of your eight man D line rotation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other guys, like you mentioned, like Jefferson, like he kind of profiles as one of those guys that he's going to play thirty pounds heavier than what he's listed at right now, mm-hmm. so. I don't know if he's going to be able to put on 30 pounds and be ready to play by his true freshman year. Maybe it yeah, happens. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, um, and, and honestly, we're talking about the guys that could play earlier contribute early. Part of the reason that's hard to answer is a lot of the guys that are left on the board that Georgia is recruiting are the types of guys that would or could play early. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned the top player nationally, Corey Foreman, who is, I don't know, probably going to USC, but maybe going to Arizona State, but maybe going to LSU, but maybe going to Georgia, but maybe going to Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever he ends up, he's going to play right away. Uh, we mentioned that there's a lot of guys in Louisiana that normally just go to Louisiana. Right now everybody's not so sure. Mm-hmm. There's a, a big-time defensive tackle, a real big boy out of Louisiana, who would probably be the backup nose behind Jalen Carter day one assuming Jordan Davis goes pro and then you know Georgia has one running back in the class Georgia does not have its big time running back in the class they are still recruiting and still after a couple guys if they get the guy that they really want or one of the guys that they want that's kind of more of a top 50 player at running back then that guy could play early um again pending what happens with Zamir White and James Cook right Mm-hmm. If Zamir White and James Cook both go pro and you bring in a top 50 guy nationally at running back, well, he's going to get some play time. Mm-hmm. If those guys come back, then, yeah, Adrian Peterson would come in and get play time, but otherwise it's a, it would be a very deep room in that scenario. <laughs> and,
1: and you just made a good point. Like, if you get Zamir White, James Cook back, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, like – and you still have DeJon Edwards. Like, who, crap. Like, there's no light of day <laughs> – for and in theory, James Cook could come back could have, could play two more years, and so could Zemir White. Now they won't. I mean, obviously, running yeah. backs you don't do that, but like this is interesting. And on the other hand, on the other side of that, if Zemir White and James Cook both leave, we went from having superior depth to having two, which isn't enough. And you know, running back two is not enough, and three is too many. Like
0: <laughs> yeah, and and in that scenario, you would have McIntosh and Milton, and then Edwards is sort of a clear you know step down. Mm-hmm. and in that scenario hopefully you would be bringing in two running backs this year the guy that's already uh in the fold right now and a guy that's probably a notch higher of a recruit that would come in and be in your top three rotation with uh Milton and McIntosh and a freshman and then you're then all of a sudden you have three big time guys you can feel like you can count on that could be workhorse kind of guys and you have enough depth but yeah It's hard to tell. It's also very hard to sell playing time right now when there's so much (laughs) up in the air. Yeah, Um, and that's one of the things that –
1: one of the reasons Kirby can recruit the way he can is because if you are a freshman and you can play, you will play. Now, you may not play the way – as much as you would like to play, but you will play, and that really is a selling point. Now, of course, it's different. And so, like, the position that's the easiest to come in from high school and play is running back. Because running back is a position that's the least to learn. It's as simple as run to a gap on the right side. You don't have to understand a lot of scheme to run to a gap on the right side for inside zone or run toss where it gets more complicated is routes protections that much. But if you have a guy like agent Peterson, you can be like, Hey, you're big and strong run really fast through B gap. We run power. It's just not that hard. Another position is receiver because if you're a good enough athlete, you can get away with like a, I, made, I laughed at Todd Munkin saying that George Pickens has learned more how to run more than hitch routes and go routes. <laughs> George Pickens can only run two routes and he's already going to be a first round draft pick. So like, it's just, so those are two positions, but the other positions that require so much physical growth, so like playing interior defensive line, you have to gain weight and strength, but you don't come out of high school typically and dominate on the interior as a freshman. You have to add strength and power. Right.
0: The, the really elite guys yeah. that are, Physically very far ahead, they're ready to come in and contribute and compete right, right. Um, at those positions, especially at like big programs. But you know they're not necessarily ready to uh, start from day one. Occasionally, but usually no. Right.
1: So in summary, would y'all say the strength of this class? Obviously, big big quarterback prospect in Brock Vandergriff, and y'all would say
0: in the secondary, good depth there. If, if you look at the top ranked recruits in the class, it is offensive tackle, oh, okay. quarterback, outside linebacker, offensive tackle, cornerback, safety, a guy that's listed as an offensive guard that's really probably more of a tackle, but they can't play all tackle, and, uh, and a tight end. So it's basically offensive line, quarterback, skill positions, a linebacker. What so the class a does, typical
1: Georgia class. Okay, got gotcha.
0: What the class does not have right now is big time wide receivers like they've had the last two years. So we'll see if anything develops there or not.
2: I, I agree, I, um, and I was immediately thinking. I mean, the the question you asked, David, the strength of the class is a much different question than you know the position that is most likely to contribute next year. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that defensive back is a strength of the class because that is the position we need next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I,
2: I'm not I'm not just just positive about that. I I feel pretty sure about the offensive line. I mean I I think I think the offensive lineman they're bringing in I would definitely say is a strength of the class. Um and albeit one prospect I I would say that about quarterback as well. Um yeah, after that you, you probably are looking at corner um you know m- maybe it maybe at linebackers. I mean obviously um you know, Smale Munden, um, you think is going to be a difference maker again, probably not next year. Um, But uh, you know, you really like the ceiling of him for sure, but kind of a, kind of boring, right? The most, the most boring position. And uh, because of our depth uh, guys that you're least likely to see for the longest period of time, (laughs) But, but again, another outstanding
1: group of offensive linemen. Okay. See, and that's why I defer to you guys in this. That's, that's a good analysis. And Jonathan, that's a good distinction between best, player and most likely to contribute. It's not, it's not always one of the same. Like, you know, that Clemson, was it DJ Uyagalele? Is probably the best player they recruited, but there was zero chance of him playing, oh,
0: Right. you know,
1: mm-hmm. over Trevor Lawrence barring, you know, an injury or COVID like it was this year. So that's a good distinction. Right.
0: So right now the top-rated recruit in Georgia's class is Amarius Mims, an offensive tackle. So maybe you have a tackle that goes pro this year and opens up one starting spot. Well, the guys that are going to be competing for that are your two five star tackles that are freshmen right now. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That are backups that will be sophomores next year. Yeah. So maybe your five star tackle this year beats out those guys, but they were big time players out of high school, too. And they've been on campus for a whole year going through everything. So
1: it's not likely.
0: Gotcha. So um,
1: it's in a good way, it's business as usual for Georgia on the recruiting trail. And we saw a big spike from the other major major program in the state last year. Georgia Tech uh, really outperformed a lot of expectations. <coughs>
0: that that sound you heard was Tech's class for this year. <laughs> <laughs> leave it in. Leave it
1: in. <laughs> All right, so Billy, Billy, don't Billy, don't cut that. All right. Uh, so Tech is down to number thirty-seven, nationally, And Tech's a program that's not going to be able to recruit. Probably at an elite level, but they can recruit at a good level, especially compared to other ACC schools. But Scott, I see that you have been listed as number nine in the ACC.
0: Mm-hmm. That's not great. No. So um, last year you mentioned, I think they finished 27th nationally, and that was fifth in the conference. So okay, this year, wow. slipping okay. down to 37th nationally is ninth in the conference. And it doesn't look like they are after any other like big time guys or guys they're expecting, you know, guys that are like grew up lifelong tech fans, but just haven't committed cause they're signing on Monday, right. that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, they're not expected to move up from that ranking. Um, last year was a, was a very good step yeah. forward from where they had been in the Paul Johnson years. And so I think a lot of people what you know, which would include myself was, you know, expecting them to at least recruit at that level this year, if not, you know, take a little step forward. And they did not, they took a step or two backwards. It looks like so.
1: Letting Clemson hang 73 on you probably didn't help. Um, uh, we came back in the week after that and I have a young man, of course, like I said, Caleb Edwards just committed to deck and (laughs) all right, coach goes, "Uh, he's not reconsidering that commitment after this week, is he? I mean, that's embarrassing, but, uh, they have one four star commit this year for last year. i see in your notes, Scott, cause I'm going by your notes And those kids played and contributed. Jameer Gibbs has been really good this year. Jeff Sims yeah. has been really up and down, but you can see that he's going to be a good college football player. Like it, the, mm-hmm. the talent there is clear. When you have not turn the ball over, they usually win.
0: Yeah. He's a true freshman quarterback. Yeah. Those guys aren't ready to play. That's just how it goes.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, the one four star and Caleb, who we discussed at length, is my, the, the kid that's going as an athlete, I, he's probably going to play safety there and he'll probably play early. Should be a four star, as we discussed, um, you know, based on his talent and his projection. But it's just interesting to me that, and you said this earlier offline, Scott, but Caleb had offers from other big schools like Notre Dame. And you said that he is basically the only player in their class that had offers from other like top tier
0: programs. That's not a good sign. No, it's a very bad sign, in fact. Um, if you look at the one guy that's a four-star, you know, I don't know this whole situation really well, but if you kind of just look at it, you know, the other places, Arkansas, Baylor, Bowling Green, it doesn't really scream uh, four-star. He's a wide receiver. Uh, you know, a lot of the times are from camps a year ago, so, you know, it's hard to say what they really mean, but four-eight in the 40, 11'7 in the 100 meters, and nothing about this guy, other than the actual four yellow stars that I see says four means four star to me. <laughs> is he six, right? six No, he's six two. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. So at, at 247 does not have him as a four-star, but by the yeah. composite he is. Okay. This probably means that ESPN just has him ranked like wildly higher than everything else because for some reason their crap <laughs> rankings get factored into the rankings. Um, but all that to say, hey, they have one four-star that doesn't really look like he should be a four-star, but they also do have one guy named Caleb Edwards who actually looks like he should be a four-star, right? Actually, got recruited by serious football programs. Yeah, you know where he chose Georgia Tech over teams that have much better teams right now and better recent success and probably better future success.
1: And the funny thing about that was, you're talking about ESPN's rankings. Caleb, when everybody thought he was going to Notre Dame, gets up to four stars this past summer for like two weeks. And then he commits to tech and he's back to a three star. It's like, come on, come on, y'all. What what, what are we doing here? What are you doing? He made it into the ESPN top 300 for like a hot second.
0: ESPN's recruiting ratings are really crappy. They just have them so that they can have their own little numbers to talk about. When they air people committing on National side yeah. Day, basically.
1: And, and if you didn't know, two four seven is the go to. Do you disagree with that, Jonathan?
2: No, absolutely. Two four seven is 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 the first place I go for sure. And you know they they don't think highly of of Tech's class either. Okay. And you know, I mean, Tech is just kind of in a situation where that's just going to be what it is for a yeah. while. I mean, we were just mm-hmm. talking earlier, you know, in this conversation about proud proud SEC schools that are usually recruiting machines <clears throat> auburn <clears throat> that you know are struggling in recruiting you've got georgia tech i mean right in the heart of SEC country they are having to go head to head. i mean if they want to go True. for any of these like really sought after four star five star recruits i mean they're having to go against georgia alabama auburn um you know florida lsu i mean even even convincing somebody to come to Georgia Tech as opposed to going to South Carolina or Tennessee, right. I mean, that's not an easy sell. Clemson, you know, the Georgia Tech um, recruiting job, uh, forget about the
1: rest of the job. Uh, it's not enviable. And, and there's not going to be a lot of years they're getting a guy like Jameer Gibbs and holding him off from going to Ohio State. But, again, that was a special circumstance where they got in him early, he blew up, and he kept his commitment. And that's yeah. kind of the path they have to take is you have to, they have to find kids like that that are good players before they blow up or to start having enough success that people want to go there or for people to realize, hey, I can go to Tech and play because I'm better than the ones that what they have there right now.
0: Yeah. So, and, you know, we mentioned that uh, where they stand right now for this class and I, I think I mentioned that it's not very likely for them to uh, make any big jumps I think I was looking at the top 30 or so players in state. And I think you have one or two of the top 30 in state that's not currently committed already. Wow. Okay. And that is the quarterback at Grayson who's actually from California. It was yeah. a USC commit Yeah. and is just going to commit to Miami instead soon. So that's not going to help tech
1: Grayson by way of Valdosta and like three other schools, like that whole thing, Yes, <laughs> that whole <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> Scott, I, know to gr- do. I know that's your alma mater, but. Like everybody in Georgia football hates three teams Buford, Grayson, and wherever Rush Propes coaches.
0: Yep. And, and all I have to say is if you ain't cheating, you ain't, you ain't trying. Tried. Mm.
1: Well, hopefully, Georgia does not uh, have to self report any recruiting violations. Uh, hopefully, all of the bag men in car dealerships and all that stuff is kept under. Wraps.
0: Cash only, gentlemen. <laughs> Cash only. Burner phones. So
1: we can continue our high level of recruiting. But if you don't take anything away from our rambling, uh, it's a good recruiting class for Georgia. They're they've got a machine rolling down there in Athens, and it's just time for it to turn into an actual championship, which is another conversation for another day. It's a late night gentleman. I appreciate y'all jumping on. This was an emergency podcast put together by the status assassin himself. He's like, But hey we got to do a recruiting day podcast, and I'm like. Yeah, we should. We should. I'm tired, but yes, we definitely should. Let me get another big brain on here at Dr. J because you guys know way more than me. I love this. We need to do this again sometime. This is great. All right, gentlemen, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off for the the evening?
0: Yeah, recruiting is important. I know not every single five-star ends up in the Hall of Fame, and I know that sometimes a three-star is good at football, but I promise you, look at the numbers. It's important to get a good recruiting class.
2: Yep. Uh, absolutely. It is the lifeblood. And, um, listen, I think the other thing we learned is the lifeblood of the lifeblood is the quarterback recruiting. Uh, we, we yeah. might not know what we've got yeah. in Mandegrift, um, you know, for another season or two, but, uh, man, it, it might be everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll go back to the Florida game, 9- 29, 112 yards if you get a quarterback with a pulse to play in that game, you might actually beat Florida. Like that's right. like actually conceivable. Not even good, just a pulse. And so, like you said, that position, the trigger man is so important. Oh, right, well, that's it for our signing day show. Uh, this is Dave Bethea from Tyron Podcast with Scott and Do- Statsass and Dr. J signing off. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.